Welcome to the Paradise Found podcast with me, Jane Edwards. This is a podcast where I interview comedians and creatives about their favourite documentary. My name is Jane Edwards and I'm a writer, comedian and actor who just happens to love documentaries. So I was really thrilled to find so many other people who love them too. This episode, I spoke to Shan Doxy about the 2010 film Strange Powers, Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields. Shan is a British-Belgian pole dancing comedian who mixes pole dancing with sharp political points and very funny stand-up comedy. Shan is also a writer, with her film Swan available now on Amazon, and also has an incredible podcast, Pole the Other One, a feminist pole dancing comedy podcast. All links will be in the description below. This is the last episode of this series, but thank you so much to everyone who has given their time to this podcast, and of course, all of you for listening. I will return in the autumn with a new batch of documentaries and more fascinating and funny guests. A quick editor's note here, um, I usually record each voice separately. That Basically, my intention is to edit myself out as much as possible when the other guest is talking. However, for this episode, I seem to have recorded it as one big file. Um, so do excuse some of my obnoxious yes and ums and ums uh, during this episode. Um, it, I wasn't able to edit out, but I hope that it adds something different. Also, a quick apology to Shan here. I say your name is Sean as Sean at the beginning of the episode. I am so sorry for that. Um, I don't know if I've done that at the points as well. It's a hangover from being brought up in one of the most English towns in Wales. Um, so I'm very, very sorry for that. I put this episode last because it really, really is an absolute belter. It's so amazing to hear Shan talk about the magnetic fields. I didn't know anything about them before this podcast and now I'm like a super fan. Shan's passion for this band and knowledge of this band is so infectious um, so I know you're just going to love this episode. So with all that aside, enjoy the podcast. So I'm joined today by Sean Doxy, who's going to be speaking to us about Strange Powers, Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields. Why did you choose this film? Hi, um, because I have an unhealthy, obsessive, compulsive, possibly quite threatening <laughs> relationship <laughs> with the Magnetic Fields. I am sure that I have essentially scuppered my chances forever of ever meeting them because I keep tagging them in all my grainy <laughs> seriously it was like overall of 2021 they must have just been seeing this stuff come up on instagram and being like who's this woman who lives in a basement who's obsessed with us what's going on um but also i think that this documentary is a really interesting case study on how weird art gets made in a way that is like sustainable and successful so um, I think I genuinely just watched it because I love the band and I wanted to watch something about them. But the more I got into it, the more I realized that um, probably narcissistically, I was 
looking at it from the sense of that's my like existential project at the moment mm. like <laughs> i am honestly kind of as we all are right like looking at my weird shit and going how the fuck do i make this into some sort of living or figure out how to do it in a way that i can keep doing the stuff i think is good mm. and not just die <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and i think um also a lot of comedians seem to like them which is not necessarily high praise but um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a thing about the magnetic fields that they seem to attract people who like stuff that is probably just quite pretentious to be honest but um yeah like I, I could just wang on about this forever. There is just something in their songwriting that I think is fucking magic. And like, mm. it's really funny. It's just so in- intricate and it's really clever. So yeah, I think the documentary really outlines how you can do stuff where like the writing and the creativity is so interesting. Mm. But also, you know, by it, by the time you kind of meet them, halfway through the movie like they're paying their bills with this stuff which is Mm. aspirational (laughs) yeah big time yeah oh yeah just tell us a bit about the film yeah so it's made over 10 years and so the documentary filmmakers follow this band the magnetic fields like Band is a very, like, nebulous description for who they are, which we can go into. Um, But so over 10 years, they follow Stephen Merritt, who is the main songwriter and singer in the band The Magnetic Fields, and especially his closest collaborator, who's a woman called Claudia Gonson. She's a musician. She becomes the band manager in a really kind of thorny process that we can Mm. talk about of firstly ever like even (laughs) identifying that that's what she's doing um Mm. and also her and Stephen are like they became friends when they were teenagers and it seems like there was never any real blueprint or plan for what it was that they were doing they just sort of kept making stuff together and then 10 years later they had this incredibly well received album um Mm. but yeah so the film follows this like 10 year period I guess like the crucial timeline thing is you meet them before and after the release of 69 love songs which is an album that does exactly what it says on the tin it's this like epic three cd album of 69 love songs and that's what really put them on a map as whatever brand of like anguish pop divorce dad core indie rock it's really hard to describe what like musical genre they fall into Mm, um yeah yeah which is part of what makes them so good um yeah and it really goes into a lot of depth about the relationship between these two people at the center of the band like there's other band members there's a little bit of a like uh rotating cast of who is in the magnetic fields at any Mm. given time also so me and Zoe went to see them live. Uh, oh, like really? Here. Oh, my God. It was incredible. <laughs> but Claudia Gonson wasn't there. Like, I think uh, they really have a sort of swapping in. Stephen Merritt is always there. But um, oh. yeah. 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 Also, like, <laughs> just for anyone who hasn't um, heard the music or seen the band, you could describe them as, I don't know, like indie pop, alt folk, like electronica. Like, there's such a weird mix of things. But um Seeing them on stage really confirmed for me that they're just such a weird band. It's like they've been built inside out. So Stephen Merritt is sort of the main singer-songwriter. But um, 
he literally sits at the very edge of the stage like he's on the far yeah. end yeah and then the <laughs> piano player is like on the other end of the stage and then there's a cello player in the middle and then a guitarist and then a percussionist sort of like at this bizarre angle at the back of the others <laughs> and you're just like why did they make this inside out it's so odd but um mm. that also kind of i don't know it really summarizes for me how they work like everything they do is from this really oblique way um and yeah in the writing and in the orchestration and everything i'm i'm not a musician so i can't talk about it in technical language mm. but my understanding is that they're just really odd <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the overview, but it really follows, I think, this, uh, journey that Stephen Merritt and, um, Claudia Gonson, who he is fucking lucky, like, likes him enough to yeah, make his big project time. happen. Yeah. Um, just how their relationship develops over 10 years. And yeah, it's just, again, like, I guess, like, similar to you, if you are a creative person and you're sort of, like shuffling between various collaborations and mm. also just kind of juggling all these different priorities at any given time of how can we do stuff that artistically we think holds up to what we want to do versus like how do you make money from things mm. where do you compromise where do you need to bring people in how different personalities either like complement or absolutely annihilate each other yeah um yeah it's just a really interesting watch as like oh, okay, this is an example of something, I think, working really well um, mm. in its kind of, like, very chaotic, very modelled way. Definitely. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, you're very, very right to say that he is lucky to have Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was, th all the way through the film, I was like, bloody hell. Like. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you did. For me, the I could just feel so much of her frustration but also deep mm. care and um I, oh yeah I mean I don't know like how did you feel watching her through the film did you feel like she was really like being run through the mill or like taken for a ride like how did you feel about it um I guess yeah I did feel that I feel like there's times you know what there's a moment where um Stephen and Claudia are kind of bickering it's, I don't remember bickering is the right word but this sort of um going at it over how uh what is it, how notes should be played in the song yeah, and how it should finish and she looks like a princess <laughs> da, 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 da. and then yeah. talking about the absolute details of that little like melody yeah 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 i was watching that and i was like because i don't work in the way of like where you know some people think that bickering and stuff is like really good and you have to have it and you know to have that like creative spark and i think because i don't think that Sometimes mm. I see, see things like a little bit and I'm like, oh no, they're fighting. You know, I guess I'm a bit like childlike. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like, I feel that way as well. And I think there's, again, there's such an interesting parallel with comedy that, um, so in two ways, A, in like the creation of stuff, but also mm. the um, relationship with the audience. I think some comics and also some audience members who go to gigs, they're there for the fight. They're there yes. for like the sparring match. Like that's what they expect. And that's what I think, for them that's like the terms of exchange like that's the aim of this and um mm. yeah definitely i've seen in some people's working relationships i'm like why are you so awful to each yeah, other yeah exactly um, <laughs> yeah for me and i don't know like and i i'm sure there's an element of gender stuff you know there but like mm. i um i find that like 
the opposite of creative flourishing. I find it mm. really, it just makes me shut down. You know, it sends me into totally. like, yeah, you know, there's like fight, fright, fright, fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Like it sends me into freeze. Um, yeah. But yeah, like that scene in particular is so interesting because I think in terms of the different roles that they play in the band and also just in the like creation of the actual meat itself of the music, mm. um, what people I think like to believe is that Stephen Merritt is this eccentric genius who creates everything yes. and the band play it. Mm-hmm. And like there are two other band members like it's Sam Arvall on the cello and John Woo on the guitar and then they have a different singer and percussionist there, there are these different people mm-hmm. um, and those people I do think just kind of slightly just do what they're told it's like cool we've made the music and obviously they will interpret stuff and do other stuff da 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 yeah but it's in that process of bickering between Stephen and Claudia that the music finds its shape um, yeah because mm. he seems to um, I mean, the way that his working process is described in the film, which is maybe a little bit romanticized, but I can absolutely believe it, is he goes and he sits in a gay bar all day with a cocktail and a cigarette. And in the gay <laughs> bar, like for eight hours, um, the bar will play music that he hates, which tends to be like pumping disco. Mm. And he writes almost in like opposition to the music that he can hear. And he just sits mm. there and produces stuff, which I mean... I I genuinely I genuinely quite like quite envy people who can work that way. Zoe, for like Zoe Tomlin, yeah. Zoe can literally sit and write you 1800 words worth of jokes. Like she literally can just oh sit there and be like, yeah, it's like really um, impressive. Wow. She can just sit there and like write gags, 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 gags. Mm. But then he takes all this content and it's in those sessions with Claudia. Um, and because she's the pianist as well, like, I guess, like, and again, I'm not a musician, but she seems to have a bit more of a kind of overall view of the orchestration and how it fits together. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that little scene where they're arguing about the melody and also she's not just thinking about, um, how do we make this bit of the song work? Yeah. She's thinking about, okay, how are we going to fold the other instruments into this and how are we going to, make the whole thing exist and it's like that's the site of creation like that's where they're doing yeah. yeah the real like wrangling with the stuff to change it from lots of little like amazing but still like fragments of ideas and bits and pieces that Stephen yeah. Merritt has come up with into like yeah into a song that holds up and I'm sure every single song had a slightly different process also so like i'm such a nerd i've got a little book which has like a, a breakdown of every song in 69 <laughs> love songs ah. yeah. i should say as well that sean is wearing a, a thermomagnetic fields t-shirt right now as well i'm like so powerfully uncool about this chat and i don't care <laughs> it's like the best day of my life um, but, um yeah um there's lots of little comments about the songs the songs that Claudia likes, Stephen doesn't like. Them. Oh, <laughs> like, really? Yeah, I think um, it's either Sweet Loving Man or there's um, a very, uh, what sounds to me like quite a classic folk song. Folk song? Yeah. She likes it and he's really quite like dismissive about it. Um, oh, yeah, wow. which again is like, that's something that comes up in the documentary. That, um, the bits where, I don't know, you kind of see a bit of tension in that relationship away. Yeah. 
yeah, he kind of um, not like wields a level of like intellectual superiority, but I think he will occasionally. And maybe I'm kind of just very biased in this because I have such like empathy for how much work Claudia is doing. And, yeah. Um, and also how like like she's really doing it from like sheer love of what he creates and her desire to just like make it exist in reality. Like there is no band without her. Exactly. Work. Like, um, and I'm just like, be nicer to your friend, you asshole. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, there's like, um, it's so a kind of storyline that happens over the film is mm. they're based in New York at the beginning. Um, and they're making stuff in Stephen's apartment, which is this like kind of chaotic flat full of just like weird instruments <laughs> in every corner. Mm. Um, I really like that. I like that when they're just like playing with random objects though, and like seeing what sounds. Oh, that's make. such a beautiful moment. I just, yeah. 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 I really love moments like, cause that's really what it's all about. Isn't it? Just like playing totally. and being, yeah being around people who are like you I yeah it's totally. and i think it's also when it brings out a side of claudia that you can see why she loves this so much yeah um, because because her friend's fucking bananas but he is so committed to like yeah we're just going to play with these cowbells for a while and see yeah. what happens and he brings out this like kind of childish delight in her um i haven't listened to it but she has another band as well i think they're called lazy susan and it's like an all-female Band, oh, right. um, which I should have listened to, but I haven't. I haven't had time. <laughs> um, and also because I love the magnetic fields, but truthfully, I listen to the same six songs like over and over again. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so um, they start off in New York, and then I think if you're like describing the overall like plot of the documentary, it's mm-hmm. like them kind of finding their feet as a band and playing all these underground gigs. And also, I mean, I, I got this when you saw them live. Stephen Merritt is a really fun person to watch on stage if you like kind of like anti-comedy or like anti-performers. Right. So that. But some of the footage from them, like in their gigs in like late 80s, early 90s, he's literally like the least invested in doing a show. He's just kind of like sitting Mm. there grumbling like in the corner. And she's a real showman. Like Claudia really performs. And you can feel in her like on stage patter like it's very lively and he's Mm -hmm. just like no i want to be a troll under the bridge (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah Yeah. so they're doing that in new york and then 69 love songs comes out which is the album that really puts them on the map um and then like they're doing more stuff and like they had more albums come out afterwards but um he then moves from new york to los angeles yeah um Without really talking about it. With yeah, I thought that was odd. Yeah. I found it so weird. Yeah. And again, just this bizarre thing of, I mean, you feel like this is the most intimate relationship that both of them have. Like, yeah. it's this, like, shared undertaking that has completely taken over their lives. Also, pretty much everyone in the magnetic fields, including Stephen Merritt, sort of doesn't seem to believe that they've sort of spent 20 years of their life doing this band it just kind <laughs> exactly. of yeah it happens yeah. and it kind of kept happening uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i find that really heartbreaking like because um mm. he just goes to la and he's like he's also just trying to find his like new york uh like dive gay bar to write songs with and he's like oh man there just isn't the level of drinking problem on the west coast that i need to be able to make my art but mm. he obviously never really discusses it with her and it's mm. honestly like she it's it's a bit like she's an empty nester like he's just fucked off and she's like well 
it's yeah. so thankless. Like I've done this for so long and there wasn't even a conversation about it. Like what the fuck? So yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. it was like, I think cause I felt that, you know, cause we were talking before as well about these, um, you know, professional sort of creative mm. relationships. You were saying, Sean, that it's like, it's more than a breakup even. They're so, I think, I don't know if people know how intimate these yeah. relationships are really. Um, oh my God. A hundred percent. Like, mm. um, so me and Zoe, when, so we met at uni and we started making shows together. Oh, and wow. like, yeah. I didn't <laughs> know you'd known each other for that long. Yeah. It's wild. Like, um, although something I'm sad about is we only met in our, so, we only really met in the summer before our third year of uni. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I kind of felt like if we'd met in year one, we would have had the time to do so much more stuff. But, um, yeah, we only mm. met before the last year. Um, and then we just kind of graduated. <laughs> but we first moved to London and we were sharing a flat together for the first year that we lived in London. But wow. we realized quite quickly that we could have two of three things of friends, working relationship and housemates. Like you couldn't have all three. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was like a marriage. And, you know, I still talk to Zoe on WhatsApp like all day, every day. Like we don't have mm. any projects together at the moment. But, you know, she's my first port of call for literally any creative problem. Yeah. Um, which has been really nice because like, like I've been really lucky in that I feel like I've never had the experience of being like isolated in comedy because I was in a fucking double act for a while. And also, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Just like there was a sense of like team work. Um, yeah, which has just been really lucky. But mm. yeah, like I think because so much financially and like emotionally and like your kind of professional calling card with what you're doing yeah so enmeshed in these uh like friendships between usually quite like chaotic weird people exactly yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's it's such a thing um and also like (laughs) i think people often end up being kind of like serial monogamists with different people before you kind of find someone who you're um who you can really work with um And also things kind of devolve. I believe in lollyamory, that you should have various kind of. Like, <laughs> That's such um, a good phrase. <laughs> the lollicule of yes. um, different people. Um, but uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the, like, the intensity of that relationship. Yeah, it feels mm. really heartbreaking where he just like fucks off to the West Coast. And yeah. They haven't even had a conversation about, okay, so are we going to keep the band going? Are we going to keep making music? Like what's, yeah. where are you at with stuff? He just exactly. like leaves. Yeah. Yeah. I just really felt it. And cause uh, you know, throughout the film, like Claudia refers to herself as like Stephen's wife. Yeah. And then I think sometimes I worry. And in my experience as well, is that you can tend to, you know, one person feels one way about things and you think that the other person you're in like a creative partnership with feels their way, feels the same way yeah and then suddenly they just don't <laughs> I mean I suppose yeah. that's the same for most relationships it's suddenly someone just goes no like that's totally. that's it that's, yeah think, yeah I'm not sure if you've been in this position but I think sometimes 
because the nature of a lot of these projects is so stressful and yeah. I mean so I guess I'm just going to use this comparison of like when me and Zoe were writing sketch those that we take to Edinburgh yeah we were both working full-time like and then some and yeah. so we'd be writing stuff on the weekends and then trying to like gig it a lot of time but it always felt like stuff was kind of crammed around the edges with other stuff that we needed to do exactly. to make money. Um, and also, you know, like, I really don't know anyone creatively who does just one thing. Like, other yeah. people are constantly, like, you know, like, submitting scripts to stuff or wanting to do their solo bits or, uh, you know, mm. like, there's, there's usually, like, a hundred different things, like, flying around in the mix. But it generally means that, you know, you might be having a lot of your creative work happen when people are fucking tired and also exactly. it's like you have to get it done da, da, da. and I think when you make any significant changes it's kind of like it's like trying t- trying to like change one of the wheels while the car is on the road like it's so totally. hard yeah and it's like when it works and it's lovely if that chemistry just happens it feels like such a relief because you don't have to have the difficult conversations about like how is this working or not working which honestly come up in all working relationships and friendships and i I think like blocks appear in most human interactions yeah um yeah you kind of want to gravitate towards people where it's like easy at first at least right like where it feels like yeah Um, yeah but you know i felt bereft when he fucked up honestly yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was surprised because I was literally like what you're going to LA <laughs> What's he going to yeah totally like, and yeah. um yeah you mentioned the wife thing as well and I think it's it's about 10 minutes into the film where she says like mm. you know um men have their fag hags whoever's got their wives da, da, da. and she's very yeah. much positioned herself as a wife role um and she's being quite playful with that as yeah well. yeah um, I think it's also like it doesn't and in a way I kind of like this it doesn't come up hugely in the film um I guess because he goes to the gay bar but hates the gay bar but like Mm. they are both very much like in queer culture as well yeah so I do think they kind of slightly enjoy the kind of queering of that relationship as well yeah what is this like bizarre like kind of a sort of heterosexual cosplay that we're doing (laughs) (laughs) this totally celibate but incredibly intimate relationship and also I think I'd have to like check about the timelines of this but I think just after he went to LA she had a kid like she oh really yeah yeah I think she uh you know all of that skill (laughs) is already there um but um yeah when she describes herself as a wife honestly my brain instantly fires off in two separate lanes like um i've got the just like raging marxist feminist thing yeah just all of the thing of like (laughs) oh wow okay the fact that she's called it wife labor means that it's feminized and therefore unpaid and i just have this like simmering pot of rage of how entitled men are to all of this amount of work that Mm. women are socially conditioned to just give for free there's all of that but i also there's one lane which and i think this is more complex and i think more relevant to like i don't know the sort of um the interest i had in the documentary on how weird art gets made Mm. is i think that what she's doing is also like naming a sort of work that is like essential to creative processes and it's like it's out of her control that it's so gendered and feminized and devalued which is incredibly frustrating but 
I think she really is describing a process um, of just this weird mixture of like tough love, but also reassurance and, you know, all of this stuff that stuff needs to like flourish. Um, But then I do also feel furious and I feel like she is massively undervalued in the like (laughs) process. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it is really like, yeah, it's very complex <laughs> yeah exactly like all these relationships always are aren't they really it's it's usually not like black and white and I think because I was the same when I heard that I was like I guess it's interesting to watch if you're like yeah if you're a woman and who also typically works in a group of men or you know mm. with another male comedian and it because it's like that lesson in real time I guess, mm. and it's not to like devalue what they had or anything, but it's got, sort of you've really got to be careful of the positions that you're putting yourself in, yeah. Because, like, and obviously this isn't for everyone, but I know that I've done this before, where I've done mm. that sort of thing of being like, I'm just so supportive and I'm so giving and I'm so loving, and this will see us through. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. people just do not feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, so it's like taking. It's not anything on them. It just is how it is in those kind of relationships, but. I think, um, yeah, it's good to kind of... Watching that in such, like, a short amount of time happen is, like... Yeah, I just thought that was, like, really well done, really well presented, so... totally. I completely hear you. And I was also um, trying to relate it to my own experience Mm -hmm. of, on the one hand, working in... um, I say this in, like, a complimentary way, kind of, like, very, like, knockabout, experimental, like... Yeah, totally. Um, Which, like, you know... As much as I, like, complain and shit on things, I would not have moved from Belgium to the UK if it was not for my near pathological love of these shows and these things happening. So yeah. I've completely, yeah. like, <laughs> I've made my bed. I'm going to lie. But I was, um, it made me think of um, two very different situations, which is, um, so one project I was involved in, which is quite similar to the kind of things that you're describing, which yeah. was... I mean, it was mixed gender, but there were a lot of men involved. And I remember that, like, with this project, which, like a lot of projects, it was, like, crammed into evenings and weekends, was, like, absorbing all of our time. And I remember really vividly, I was, like, um, so we talked about when we were going to work, and we were, like, shooting for a whole weekend. And my first thought was, okay, food. Like, are we going to have a conversation about, like, okay, are we going to like club together to just have some pizzas that we can shove in the oven mm. so we can like keep working or da 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 but um and I don't know if like uh, like selfishly I didn't bring that up because I didn't then want to be the person who goes into like production coordinator mode instead of the like fun creative decision making stuff um yeah but obviously like no one thought about it so you all end up and like this feels really granular but it is important like you end up then spending money on like just needing to go out and like buy lunch and stuff and it felt exactly. like yeah, so there's that kind of stuff, as well as the other, you know, slightly harder to name kind of like emotional stuff. And I, it was such a like stark comparison to, um, I made a short film where, again, it was like a low budget project. It was like a weird short film. Yeah. But um, the whole production team were female the head producer who I mean she was like 24 or something at the time Mm. but she had a young child as well and when we so we made this film over the weekend and childcare had been planned in advance all of the catering had been planned in advance yeah 
But the upshot, yeah, the upshot of it was that then everybody who was on that shoot could give a hundred percent focus to the film itself. Totally. It was just kind of like those things had just been planned and sort of in advance. So someone was allocated to look after them and it then like freed everyone up to be able to do the point which was like the creative decision making part totally um, yeah also on that project um the shooting day finished early with like no need for pickups which is like unheard of <laughs> in, you know she's doing budget yeah. film. but it was because it had just been so like considerately thought through and i think like again the thing i really felt was cool about it was it just meant that the people on the set who are more feminized, so I guess more yeah. prone to be kind of like, oh, I guess I should think about that. No, no, no. They were then completely like freed up to yeah. do the directorial stuff, the acting stuff, the script stuff. Yeah, and in terms of Claudia's role in The Magnetic Fields, it really made me think about the feminist concept of mental load. Um, mm. And um, so the idea of mental load is how much work in and again it's in like real grand sweeping generalizations yeah. of typically like heterosexual nuclear family stuff so obviously yeah. there's way more nuance and complexity mm-hmm. but um the kind of example that people tend to use to illustrate mental load is um in a kind of heterosexual domestic setting where women tend to have to take on a lot more of the like domestic labor and stuff um there's like an example where a woman is getting frustrated that her male partner doesn't like just doesn't like kind of pick up little things or kind of see little jobs or like take part in the cooking and stuff Mm. and her sympathetic male partner says well if you asked me to do it i would do it and he's saying that really genuinely but what he doesn't realize is he's then just like created a whole other job of being like the project manager so not only does she have to like identify and name everything that needs doing she also needs to be the person who asks like and that is like a job and um i've just like i've really seen that play out um outside of like comedy and creative stuff but in the just in the like relationships and also like other work settings of women i know with their male partners they're frustrated at how much planning falls on them and now there are so many things where it's like well the buck ends with them and often what happens is they're like it's actually just simpler for me to just sort of sort everything out and do everything than ask him um and like yeah the way it made me think about so that film project i was describing where Mm. it was so nice that because all this stuff had been again by people who had figured in the budget like how they were going to organize that but um because that had been figured out and taken care of everyone who was on set was like freed up to do the fun creative stuff definitely it really made me think about how like okay so in the magnetic fields um it is claudia who is calling people up to go hey we met at this gig we'd love to play for you blah 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 she is thinking about organizing the rehearsals she i mean as granular as like she mentions that she like worries about steven's health and stuff i'm like does she just Mm. like check in on him to like check he's eaten that week like you know there's all of that stuff yeah and because she is handling all of that stuff that is like essential to the band happening Mm. he is literally freed up to have eight more hours a day to sit and do the creative part so like yeah so no wonder he's hailed as the kind of creative genius side and she is perceived as like the helpful woman who does the admin and it's just so not like that 
But um, yeah, I just really felt like in her, um, just in her description of like wife work, mm. it really jumped out at me at like a lot of the stuff that she's doing is the kind of stuff that for people who've been socialized as women and like, again, not exclusively, but a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, basically, you have to work so hard to reclaim the time where you just get to be the, like, oddball who gets to, like, play and float around and be creative because (laughs) you're thinking about just that, uh, I mean, I guess, like, you would call it, like, care labor or other stuff. Um, I was talking to a friend about this, and I can't remember, I can't remember how we got onto it, but my friend was saying... Um, yeah and they're not like a man they're a queer person but mm. my friend was saying that like you do need to be a bit of a child to be an artist like yeah. you need that freedom um and so it's not really consistent with them being the person who i guess you'd call them the producer or the manager or whatever yeah and um i kind of felt like yes and no because like basically you can be the child if someone else is being the adult like if like exactly if you know when yeah if you know where your next meal is coming from then it's a lot easier to be kind of like cool well just for like six hours today i'm gonna sit and do the fun bit um so like there's there's a sort of like hmm, okay it is possible if there are other people taking those roles mm. and also i kind of disagree because i guess like to very like arrogantly kind of like it back <laughs> to me and the sort of um the process i'm having with poll stuff at the moment mm. um Genuinely, to just get any of this shit rolling, I feel like I have to have a bit of a split personality at the moment. Yeah. Because Paul is just such a logistical bastard, like so many things um, in a way that I'm like, you know, I'm really grateful that I've been able to have like this, like learning experience. And also just that I'm, you know, (laughs) because I don't have dependence or anything, like I can kind of fanny around. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But um, like, I've really had to, yeah, essentially kind of like split personality myself into being the person who, for example, is like talking to venues about just their like fucking ceiling dimensions or doing things like, mm-hmm. so this, again, we're really getting into the weeds of it, but something I did not expect to be a thing with pole dancing is you have to have a sense of the temperature of the room that you'll be in because if the pole gets too warm, it gets too slippy to perform on it. Oh so my God. Off. Yeah. Um, when, um, so when we did this event to like launch series two of the poll podcast, mm. um, so it was really exciting because like a hundred people were coming and we had a really nice venue, da da da. But my friend who was one of the pole dancing acts said, if there's a hundred people in the room, you're going to need to either use ventilation that the venue can provide or bring your own ventilation because the pole is going to get too warm. Oh, so I was God. suddenly on Amazon being like, I did not expect it to be like, oh fuck, I've got a source ventilators now i have two they're called kath and kim (laughs) everywhere um but like um yeah i guess like um and again it feels like so arrogant and grandiose to compare my little undertakings to the magnetic fields but i genuinely feel like the way that i have managed to allocate the different kinds no like allocate time to the different kinds of labor that are necessary is I almost have like Claudia days and also then Stephen days. Um, yeah. And so like, and again, obviously like as we all are somehow doing that with the Tetris of like another job and other things and you know, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. But um, like I have a rule now that I only do production stuff on 
Mondays and on Thursdays. Like that is when emails get answered and blah, blah, blah. And then I have become so anal about like, so I have Friday mornings as like writing time. And then, and then obviously depending on what kind of week it is, like, I mean, I would love to have that, like loads more of that time, but that is the sort of like sacred ring fence time. And for that, like, I genuinely just have to like leave my phone in my bedside drawer at home and like go out and work somewhere else for a couple of hours just to be able to have that like creative space, which again, like, I mean, I've just put this to the side now. I feel a lot of guilt about that. I feel like, what if my sister, yeah, I'm just like, um, so my flatmate who is also my sister, I'm like, what if she's ill? What if she suddenly needs something? Or, oh, what if I missed it? And, um, it's kind of weird because I feel like, if I was a guy, would I even care? Like, would I have that sense? Exactly. Would I? Would yeah. I? I don't know. Um, but, um, but I don't know. I sort of feel like I've had to create permission for myself to have the days to be more of a kind of child where no one can find me and I'm just like having fun, just creating the material and stuff. But I also feel like. I make better decisions creatively because I'm also the Claudia person who has to cost everything up. And like, I have a better sense now of what is an idea that like, "Eh, it seems kind of good on paper, but I know how much rehearsal that's going to take. And I also know how logistically difficult it's going to do. It's going to be to, you know, get it to a venue or whatever. So, you know, the sort of like, write drunk and edit sober kind of thing. Yes, that's, that's yeah. That's yeah, perfect. it's sort of, um yeah, it's kind of happening a little bit at the same time. Again, I mean, uh, the thing is, and again, I'm, it's like broad sweeping generalizations. With uh, cishet men, a lot of the time what happens is they find a wife who becomes quite PA to them. Totally, well. totally. And, yeah, and, and they often, and I do say this with affection, but again, the the experience of male privilege is they cannot see it. Like they just can't see totally. how much work is happening around yeah. them. And um, I have to withhold my rage at how much like neglect I see in my female friends who occupy the wife position, yeah. who are doing all of this essential work and it just isn't being reciprocated. Mm-hmm. I have found it quite nice to be in pole world where you do see and again you see it everywhere and like i have so many male friends as well who are like the most sort of attentive sweet partners blah 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 it's not a rule across the board yeah Um, yeah in pole i've seen the gender swapped um in the way that so pole is quite femme dominated yeah um there's um so i know a studio owner who's super cool she's like she's really really cool she has like um I don't know how you'd measure this, but probably like the fastest growing studio in London at the moment. It's great. And it's like, yeah, it's such a cool business. And um, honestly, her whole heart and soul is in this business. And it's just like got her personality like in the walls. Like it's so cool. But um, her partner just quit his job to help her be the studio manager and also like support her around the sides. Yeah. She has like severe ADHD. So, um, I mean things that are the kind of invisible work that it seems like i mean we don't we really don't know all of the details of their personal life yeah but some of the stuff that you imagine claudia's doing like is she the person who makes sure that if they're touring like they're gonna go somewhere for dinner and you know like that kind of stuff um definitely in this relationship with the pole dancer where the pole dancer gets like child isn't fair because running a studio is not like a child's job but um (laughs) 
someone taking the more kind of like creative role, you do have situations where there are men in the background doing the wifing. Yeah. Um, but reality is not <laughs> organized that way a lot of the time. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like that was such a like long rambling response no. to the kind of Claudia as well thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, are you like, yeah, I really, it's cliche, but like I literally could not agree more. Because I, I have a kind of set up in my personal life where, yeah, it's more gender swap, you know. Mm. Or like I guess kind of more equal supporting each other. But I've been in that, I've seen that before. Like you say, like where people's wives or girlfriends or partners take on that PA role. Mm. And I like love this person to absolute death. <laughs> but I recently... um yeah, like a friend's girlfriend is offering to put up posters for them and mm. um, this sort of thing. And it's hard because you feel like you're overstepping. If I went up to her and I was like just imparting all this like gunge in me of being like, don't do, you know what I mean? Don't yeah. do that. Don't make yourself vulnerable. Don't, if this isn't your life, don't make it your life. There's like yeah, a million yeah. things you want to <laughs> say that you can't just, you sound like a mad woman being like, yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel, I would feel so conflicted in, in that position as well because I have sometimes only stopped myself from just sort of mm. like becoming someone's fucking self-appointed agent, exactly. or just being like, "Hey, I'll help you with this," or da da da, because that is my social conditioning. Yeah, I have only sometimes not done that because a female friend has been like, "Shan, don't just give away your time. Like, it's exactly. it's not going to be reciprocated." <laughs> like, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, exactly. You don't want to be the sort of like, just the like bitter other yeah. woman who's kind of like. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a hard balance to get, isn't it? Cause I, I'm, you know, I've just been, I think like re watching the film, it had, it did like confirm in me cause I sort of made a decision a couple of months ago to like you say like just think about myself a bit more mm. and be like what mm. do I want to do and not to just be like this kind of um yeah just a source of like I mean I'm 34 as well it's taken so long because I have like you don't have children but you still feel like in the back of your head you're still living for other people really and you still want yeah. everyone else to be all right and it's so funny how that gets in no matter how feminist you are it can still be in there like and it's you have to yeah I sort of yeah at the beginning of the year I was like do you know what I'm just gonna do what I want to do and not not it sounds cruel but not think about other people so much it's not so obsessively thinking about them which is really exciting like this I'm is so it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no completely and it's weird because it's like those sort of tasks which you would do is just like without even thinking about yeah. it like a knee-jerk response to like find ways to be helpful or whatever I yeah. think like especially if you're socialized as a woman like not exclusively but especially yeah that in your head is just conflated with like being a nice person or like being exactly. collaborative or just like yeah of course I would you know da, da, da. um and uh, the thing is also like I don't think that that's a bad thing I actually think mm. it's the thing of like um uh, you know, the whole sort of like girl boss feminism is like, uh, can you, the sort of, the sort of model that we'd have for, oh no, everyone like behave more like entitled white men is like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, uh. yeah. But, and also, again, I do think a thing with any work is if you're holding yourself up to try and be like ideologically perfect across the board, you're just going to have mm. a fucking breakdown. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's so weird. Yeah. Same. I mean, like I'm 33 and it's weird because like I, so for a while I thought I'll be a publicist. Like I was a, like, I thought 
bubbly extrovert is sort of my thing. And <laughs> yes. I, you know, um, I thought what I really like is creating situations where people find out about cool stuff. And um, what I really enjoyed about emceeing originally was just the sort of fun of like, at the end of the day, let's create something that's like a fun night out for people to go to. Try and create a situation where everyone can smash it. This will be fun. Like, this will yeah. be cool. But then um, uh, the kind of pain, God, it sounds so pretentious, but genuinely the sort of like, I felt, I, I just felt really aware that I was kind of shortchanging myself a lot more. Totally. Not in, not in a lot of collaborations. I found like, you know, especially like, you know, co-writing stuff with Zoe or things that like me and Sam and Tom and Zoe did together and like yeah. a film and like, I mean, I can't even list them now, but so many things that have been like actual team projects have been fucking amazing and yeah. I don't know I don't know if you have this but I do feel I like I really feel quite conflicted about being a solo performer because I kind of fucking hate it <laughs> yeah I'm exactly the same when it's when, in a group when it's good it's like unbeatable and when it's bad it's like absolute hell like there's yeah, no <laughs> totally. there, yeah there's literally no middle ground I've kind of mm. I think I have essentially cheated by doing what is nominally a solo project but trying to take as many people hostage with me which is maybe maybe i've learned toxic masculinity maybe i've like <laughs> nailed it maybe i can just capitalize off of their invisible labor <laughs> um but um yeah the thing about um those kind of partnerships as well is so i have a friend who got married last year and they're like mm. a queer relationship mm. but um my friend who i've known for ages said that in couples there's always a flower and a gardener and they're like i'm the gardener i love being the gardener and um they're also wow. like they really love like they would happily be like a stay-at-home them like they love cooking they love just doing all the house stuff yeah and their partner is this like incredibly charismatic successful ambitious journalist like you know like yeah they're amazing but i I do feel kind of rage on that division as well. I'm like, no, everyone's a flower and everyone should do a bit of gardening. Yeah, Otherwise, exactly. Yeah, you get suffocated. But um, it is really interesting to see those dynamics like appear in so many different kinds of settings. Mm. Um, I also kind of feel like I have definitely, in creative settings as well as relationships, um, definitely kind of charged headfirst into both roles of um finding a situation where and again sometimes you just don't realize your own like privilege necessarily that you bring into the room yeah but, um you know if you're just quite like confident for example you feel really secure in what you're doing mm. and someone's more kind of accommodating or quiet of yeah um yeah yeah maybe not as sort of like uh on the front foot about taking up space just because you're kind of busy with your own thing, you can end up like unconsciously sort of like shuffling someone into the role of more of the kind of, I feel like we're batting around the word like wifing, but it's sort of similar. <laughs> yes. Um, and similarly, sometimes I've just felt a bit like, I just don't want to compete with these fucking big personalities. And, oh, totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's really, it's really delicate. Also, it just kind of fluctuates depending on how much you give a shit about the project. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want just more like just chilled out projects, I think. And then, yeah, that'd be perfect. I also like, and again, I do think it is a thing of sort of being in the mid-30s zone. I, uh, well, there's also a thing of now the poll, absurdly, is kind of part of my um, sort of 
professional outlet I can't mm. work at burnout because if I'm not physically well enough to do stuff I just can't yeah. do it um and I I think I just made the decision and I, I do think this is something that people just mature through at some point in life but um I just decided I was not going to be like held hostage to feeling like I have to work at burnout capacity all the time exactly um, yeah which is kind of part of prioritizing right and going okay what do I actually want to throw my weight behind to make happen and what do I actually really care about um and yeah like I think people get a bit anxious about putting all their eggs in one basket but also actually it's fine to just like focus on doing a bit less for a while yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah I think um for me a sort of like a similar process to not undervaluing myself basically in projects by yeah doing all of this like peripheral labor unquestioningly yeah part of it has also been like i'm gonna do stuff slower and also like i want to have joy in my work as well i don't just want to be fucking run to the ground all the time and actually not not even doing stuff that's that good because i'm just like stretched in too many different directions or working at like exhaustion levels and um I, I kind of had to fight a little bit of a little goblin voice in my head that's kind of like a bit kind of like, oh, la da like, who does she think she is? Kind of well. <laughs> yes. um, but um, just because I think, you know, like the flip side of that would be like, no, it's important to have a good work ethic. But I also think a good work ethic is not hating every second of your life because you're just like just either in work mode or recovery from work mode all exactly. the time. I was like. No, I don't want to do things that like annihilate me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think that might be a good point to end on. Have you got anything yeah. else that you'd like to add, Sean? Yeah, there was one thing, I guess, of um, something we talked about over email was mm. um, there's a guy in the band who says that he's not friends with Stephen. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought it was such a good question. And like, so. Um, Sam Arval, who's the cello player. Mm. So, I mean, he also just seems like a bit of a weird guy. Like, you <laughs> meet him at the beginning of the film, and he's saying, yeah, I didn't really think I'd end up in this style of band. I wanted to be in something more like ACDC or Boston. And you go, dude, you know you play the cello. <laughs> Stadium, like, hair metal band. But, um, yeah, it's quite clear that Claudia and Stephen who have like they've just been friends for so long and it would not work if Mm. despite everything like they just liked hanging out like that was a kind of nice thing but um the other two people who are most frequently in the band there's sam the cello player and john the guitar player you've Mm. got other people around as well um but you only really hear a lot from those two so they said that they're there to like play steven's music but they don't really have a friendship and um yeah, I was just kind of thinking about that in the sense of can you make stuff that you really love with people you're not friends with? Um, or is that like quite a healthy boundary to have if like, you know, they wanted to be in the band to play the music and that was it. Like that's the extent of their professional relationship yeah. with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I kind of like, I'm not really sure where I've landed on it. The most similar experience is... So it's a bit of a revolving cast of hosts, to be honest. But yeah. I've been co-hosting 
alternative comedy memorial society with tom tug and mm. it's because john luke roberts just went on to different things so there was yeah. a role open and when tom rang asking if i wanted to co-host it i literally like i was over the moon like i fucking love that project oh, i couldn't believe they wanted me to be involved like i yeah. was just like so stoked um but like i found it really hard at first because just like it's it's such a big gig i mean i think like you described some early Jane Edwards shows as like, there's so many different moving parts that you sometimes feel a bit more like a chauffeur through it than doing yes, your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit how I felt at the beginning. And also, I mean, there were so many things as well. Like the first ACMS show that I like co-hosted that I came back to, um, it was the first live show I'd done after 18, like 18 months of the lockdown. So oh, I mean, wow. I'd basically been like living in a well <laughs> for a year. And I came back and I, was just so bewildered on stage because there was just this really complex conceit for that show where it was like oh my god I can't remember it was like Luke's funeral or something (laughs) yeah in a typical ACMS way it was like we had this like complex narrative and all these different things but it was out of the question that we'd do any rehearsal and I I honestly I think I was on stage looking like a giraffe that had just been born I was like (laughs) bewildered it was mad even though again it's like that's like playing for the home team i love that audience like i love the project and i felt like you know um you literally can't fail in that room because the the essence of the gig is to fail and do it badly. so it was obviously fine but i felt really self-conscious because i wanted to do a good job as well um but i also really felt like oh fuck it is in the dna of this project that like John Nick Roberts and Tom Tuck had, had just over a decade built this gig together. Yeah. And um, I felt like I'd just been kind of plopped in. And I wasn't sure what our, like, dynamic would be. Um, mm. And also, like, you know, I love Tom. I'm friends with Tom. But we, we didn't, like, you know, we didn't know each other that well. It was suddenly just like, here we go. Yeah. Um, and I also had this insecurity of uh, it would be like, oh, mum and dad have split up and this stepmom's coming. <laughs> and I don't know if any kids are going to like me. Um but yeah, like, um, it's obviously slightly different because, like, me and Tom are friends. It's not like this really removed distancing. I think Stephen Merritt is quite a difficult person to be friends with. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. There's actually a quite sweet moment in the documentary where the interviewer asks what he thinks about Claudia. And he does say that she's like, she's like a flashing, you know, like she is this like ball of energy. And yeah. he like concedes that. She's one of the people who irritates him least, which is like the highest praise you can get from this guy. <laughs> oh, um, but um, yeah, I felt like just as a comparison with, and again, this is like a really fun knockabout alternative comedy gig. But mm-hmm. I felt like um, I was doing that with, it, it wasn't like, so, you know, for example, with the night that me and Sam and Tom and Zoe ran, yeah. we were like a group of friends who were like, hey, let's do something together. Yeah. Um, with ACMS, there was this like pre-existing thing and I came in and I was kind of like, hey, it's really pals as well. Yeah. Um, and it's always like, it's a much more fun gig if me and Tom like hang out before as well. And um, yeah, and also it has been really nice as it's gone on further. And like, um, so for this like poll podcast party launch, I tried out a format called Live at the Apollo, um, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> so the setup is that uh, comedians do their worst material and then they try and redeem themselves by pole dancing. Oh my and God. It's really fun. And like Tom... Uh, was the first person to agree he smashed it he's like so he was so committed that i mean like acms just like thrives on this like 
bananas. Yeah, sort of stuff. yeah. Um, and he's just such a good pole dancer as well. Like he really smashed it. And I felt so secure at this event that I was producing that like Tom was there and there was an ACMS there. Like I felt really supported by my friend, which was super nice with, yeah. I mean, producing a fucking pole thing. I'm getting better at it every time I do it, but <laughs> yes. I felt so, yeah, I just kind of felt so dwarfed by like the amount of stuff that I had to yeah. consider. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. And, uh, I feel like, um, uh, now we've kind of found our dynamic just because we've done the show lots of times as well and like I now feel a bit more like um, I can muck around and I just feel a bit less in this prison of like but I want to do a good job you know I feel yeah. like no no yeah. it's, it's chill um, but it's much easier to have that level of feeling relaxed if you know people quite well to just be kind of slightly thrown into the mix is it's just a different kind of dynamic um, so yeah in terms of magnetic fields, though, who are like, I mean, horny for despair is, I think, very much their vibe. It's like yeah. real anguish. And also, me and Zoe talk about this all the time of like, they're very like self-styled pessimist, but that generally means it's like the most romantic people, like people who do like, they've got this incredible like yearning for like real connection, but also feel yeah. uh, like totally alienated from that. Like, it doesn't surprise me that some of the interpersonal dynamics in that band are like slightly kept at arm's length because that's kind of what's reflected in the music and in the songwriting. Um, I don't know. I honestly think I'm just a lot more basic than that. Like I like doing stuff with my friends and yeah. it's, it's much more fun. Like if you actually hang out with people outside of just like doing the show together, I just think there's a level of like warmth and security. Also, mm. so I know we're going way over time, but like the, um, the other, I guess, literal example uh, of that in terms of something I'm working on at the moment mm. is, so, the pole show, an hour of pole comedy, um, I'm doing it with my friend Jake, who, so, he texts the show, but he really co-produces everything with me. Like, yeah, yeah, like, the development of every concept, like, we make everything together, we made Octopus Show together as well, and so... I really don't feel like it's a solo project. Yeah. And the show is being directed by my friend Alexander Bennett, who is like, and it's like, I just feel so secure in this because we've known each other for like so long and like I would trust him with everything. Yeah. Bennett can do both things of, he's very frank with me about what he thinks is and isn't working. So like we do the work and stuff, but he can also see where I actually need just a bit of like reassurance, especially when, um, there's content in what you're talking about that's quite like sensitive or personal you sort of need someone who a like cares about you enough to kind of see when actually you need a bit more like support than tough love on stuff but then also cares about you enough to go like hey let's you know let's kind of stretch you out of your comfort zone here and like let's really get the material as good as possible yeah um and i think that's more fun when it's with your pals <laughs> oh definitely <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's such a nice point to end on it's such a positive point have friends <laughs> don't fuck off to la without telling your wife <laughs> oh thank you so so much for coming on the podcast Sean. this is this has been brilliant we've, we've overrun like crazy but it's just yeah. been so interesting oh my god no thank you for letting me wang on and on about my favorite thing none of my other friends can tolerate it <laughs> i've absolutely loved it thank yeah. you Fun. 
A huge thanks to Shan for giving your time and your wonderful impassioned insights to this podcast. And now comes time for me to ask for your kindness and support. If you could like and subscribe or whatever kind of terminology they are using on the platform that you're listening on, that would be very much appreciated. We've got lots of exciting episodes coming up. So I would really appreciate you staying in touch. And if you've enjoyed this, share it on your socials. Do we still use the word socials? I don't know. But I would really, really appreciate you spreading the word if you feel like it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope you have a wonderful day.